picture and and um when Pastor Magine called me Monday, I immediately went to some other passage of scripture. And then I went to another and I probably went through five different sermons before and when you see what we're talking about today it seems kind of silly but um I kind of ran from this but um when it all came back together I guess it was probably Thursday I I finally said you know what this is just what God wants me to to say this morning so so we're uh this is what we're going to talk about for just a few minutes this morning as I was thinking about this and um I remember when, when I was a little boy, you can bring these monitors down just a little bit up here. When I was a little boy, and you, you probably remember this too, there were times that other kids, not necessarily me or you, but they got bubble gum in their hair. And I still remember that there were some home remedies for getting bubble gum out of your hair. Uh, one of those was ice. And I think the idea was you put ice on it and the, the bubble gum gets really, really hard. And then you kind of chip the bubble gum out of your hair. Another home remedy was um, peanut butter. You put, and I've seen people shaking their head because you've had peanut butter in your hair. You put peanut butter in your hair, and I think the idea was that the oil from the peanut butter probably gooed up the bubble gum, and it would make it easier to come out. And then there was this this one way that always worked, and that was called scissors. And you just grab that chunk, and I've seen kids walk around with big chunks of missing hair, and you know that they fell asleep with bubble gum in their mouth, and that's how their mom fixed it. And today we're not going to talk about getting chewing gum out of your hair. Instead, I I wanted to title this this sermon, How to Get Fish Vomit Out of Your Hair. Very spiritual title. And with that, let's go. And we're going to talk about Jonah. If you go to the first chapter of the book of Jonah, we see that God had called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and preach. God specifically told him to go to the city of Nineveh and preach and tell them how wicked they were, and if they didn't change, that he was going to destroy the city. That was the specific instructions. So what Jonah did was he immediately went to Joppa and got on a boat headed to Tarshish. Go to Nineveh. Okay, I hear you, Lord. I'm going to go down to Joppa and get on a ship and go to Tarshish. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. And as you probably know the story, once he was on the ship, God sent this storm, and the men of the ship thought they were all going to die. And the, the sailors, being smart and doing what sailors do, they took all the, the stuff that was on the ship and they started throwing it overboard because it was weighing the, ships down, the ship down and the water was coming over the gunnels. So they threw all the stuff they could throw off the ship, they threw it in the water. And the ship was still on the verge of sinking. And it says that at this point, each man called out to his own God to save them. They were afraid. And they did this, and then they started looking around, and they didn't see Jonah. And they said, well, let's go get Jonah, and we'll get him to call out on his God, too. And that way we've got all our bases covered. And they go looking for Jonah, and he's down below deck, sound asleep. And they said, Jonah, wake up. We're getting ready to sink here. We've all called on our gods. Wake up and call on your God, 
and see if he can save us. And then they left Jonah, they went back up to the deck, and they cast lots to see whose fault it was that all this was happening. And guess whose fault it was? It was Jonah's. The lot fell on Jonah. And with that, let's go to Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. So they asked Jonah, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What did you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the land and the sea. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he would already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. Just throw me over. And if you read on, you'll see that instead of throwing Jonah overboard, they decided to try to row back to shore. A lot of, a lot of things going wrong here. Nobody's doing what they're supposed to be doing here. And guess what? As they try to row back to shore, it just gets worse and they come even closer to sinking. So they finally take Jonah up on his suggestion and they throw him overboard. And in verse 17 it says that God provided a big fish and the fish swallowed Jonah. And Jonah lived inside this fish for three days and three nights. There was a school teacher who had a little girl in her class. She knew she was a Christian. And she decided to question the little girl about the Bible. And she said, do you really believe the Bible is true? The little girl said, of course I do. The teacher pressed a little bit harder and said, do you believe that a big fish swallowed Jonah and that he lived inside that fish for three days? The little girl said, well, if it's in the Bible, then I believe it's true. The teacher said, well, can you prove it? The little girl thought for a minute. She said, well, no. I guess when I get to heaven, I'll ask after Jonah. How it happened. The teacher said, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? little girl stood there for a minute, put her hands on her hips, looked at the teacher and said, then I guess you'll have to ask him. Back to Jonah. So while inside the fish, Jonah now decides to pray. And he prayed and asked God's forgiveness. And he vowed to do what God told him to do. Isn't that amazing? Why is it that we too sometimes wait until we're, the most, we're in the middle of the most horrible situation before we decide to turn to God? Before we decide to be obedient to what He has called us to do? We know what's right. Maybe we were raised in it, and we were taught it, and we believed it growing up, but for some reason we decided to get away from it. And then things happen and we look for answers, we look for answers, and we know what the answer is. And finally when it gets so bad, we turn back to God and say, Okay, I get it. After Jonah repented, in Jonah 2 and 10, if you wonder where the title of this sermon came from, it says that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. We see that so far things are going well for Jonah. He's been inside a fish for three days and nights. Now he's on land. 
He's covered in fish vomit. And again, God tells him, go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah says, fine, I'll go. Nineveh was a big city. If you read in the book of Jonah, it says that it took three days just to walk from one side of Nineveh to the other. So Jonah goes to Nineveh and on the first day he starts preaching that if the people didn't change their ways and change their lives and change their attitude towards God, that in 40 days God would destroy the city and everything in it. We're not given all the details of Jonah's message, but we do read in the third chapter of Jonah that the message raced all through the city of Nineveh, and even more importantly, that the people believed the message. How about that? Now, here's, here's the downside. Jonah was hoping secretly in his heart that the people wouldn't listen. He was hoping that they wouldn't listen, that they wouldn't change, Because he felt like the people of Nineveh were so wicked that they deserved to be destroyed. But after the fish incident, he went and preached anyway. Much to Jonah's dismay or his surprise, the king of Nineveh heard the preaching. And he commanded everyone in the city to turn to God. To give up their evil ways so that God would not destroy them. And they did. Now here's one thing I want us to remember at this point. None of these people repented until someone told them the message that God had for them. We have a message as well. It's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And much like Jonah and the the people of Nineveh, Nineveh, there are people who will never hear the message of Jesus Christ unless we tell them. And just as Jonah was commanded to go to Nineveh, we are commanded in the New Testament to go and share the gospel. Now all this happens and the people repent and the city turns to God, and and things are are really looking up. And you would think that at this point that Jonah, being a prophet, would rejoice that the people were spared because of his preaching. In our day, had somebody done that, and if 120,000 people turned to God, they would have had a million-dollar bus and a TV show and, and everything else. But Jonah wasn't that way. In fact, he was upset that it happened. Jonah 4. One through three. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah started pouting. He said, you see God, this is why I ran away from Nineveh to start with. I knew you were a loving God. And I knew that if I preached and I knew if they listened and turned from their evil ways because of your love and graciousness that you would spare their lives. And that's not what I wanted. 
so I'm mad at you. I wanted you to destroy them, but since you didn't, just destroy me. Because I don't like them. That's what he said. Just kill me. It is far better for me to die than to live. Because you spared 120,000 people. God said to Jonah, You really think you have a reason to be angry? So, Jonah then stomped off to a place outside the city. He made himself a little shelter and he sat down to finish his little pouting session. And he wanted to see what would happen to the city. Secretly, he was hoping that God would just go ahead and destroy him anyway. So he sits there under his little shelter just to see. We're getting to the really good part, so stay with me here. Jonah 4 and 6. Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Yay, I got a vine. It was so hot out here and God made this vine to grow up overnight. And so while I'm sitting here hoping that this city of 120,000 people were all just destroyed, I have my little vine over my head. But then verse 7 says that the next morning God provided a worm to chew on the vine and the vine withered up and died. And then the sun came out and it got hot and Jonah started getting hot and sunburned and he grew faint from the heat. It says that Jonah got so hot and uncomfortable that once again he wanted to die. Look at this. Jonah 4 and 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. He went from being hot enough to die to being angry enough to die. He was just an angry little guy. God, you don't get it. Those people were wicked and they were evil. And I didn't like them. And I knew that if I didn't preach to them that you would destroy them and they'd all die. And you made this fish come along and you know the story, Lord. So I went and preached anyway. And now you save these 120,000 people and... Just not happy about it. Look at verse 10. God says... Jonah, you seem so concerned about this vine. You know that vine I had grow up overnight? You seem so concerned about this vine that you had absolutely nothing to do with. It was there for one day, and then it died, and you're all upset about it. You're upset about this vine. So Jonah, let me ask you a question. And in verse 11, Jonah asked, or God asked Jonah this question. And he says, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? This is kind of my translation of, of what God was saying to Jonah there. You're all upset about your little plant. Well, that city you wanted me to destroy had 120,000 people in it. 
And you were okay with me wiping them off of the face of the earth. Shouldn't I be at least as concerned with those people as you are about your little plant? Throw in a statistic right here. 2010 census says Brandon has 103,483 people. Valrico has 35,545. That's 139,028 people. When's the last time you got upset about something? Are we just as upset that those 139,028 people out of that group, that there's a whole bunch of them that are going to die and go to hell if they don't hear the gospel. As we are about the last thing we got upset about. What God was saying to Jonah was, Jonah, I love people that you don't care about. I love people that you might not think deserve salvation. But Jonah, that's my decision. Because my love extends further than your imagination and further than your hatred does. For us today, we might wonder how God could love us. And I will tell you that the same answer applies. His love extends further than your imagination does. It also applies to those who we might count as unlovable. But be assured, His love extends further than we can even imagine. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking that that because of the past or whatever that you are unlovable. Let me assure you that God loves you just as much as he loved those people in Nineveh. That's right. And some people right about now would say, yeah, but that's, that's, an old, that's a story from the Old Testament, and Jonah was a prophet, so it's different. I would say some of that's true. It was in the Old Testament, Jonah was a prophet. Let's go to Matthew 5 and read verses 14 through 16. This is Jesus talking even though it's not in red. He said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus made it very clear in His short ministry here on earth that each of us has a calling To share the gospel in some way. To be a light in an otherwise dark world. A world that is full of trouble and confusion. A world that is full of people that are headed to a certain eternal death if they continue in the way they're headed. A world full of people that are looking for answers and we know what the answer is. The answer is Jesus Christ. And yes, we can get so angry at the world around us and the evil in the world around us and we can be like Jonah if we're not careful and we can find ourselves saying, just wipe them out. They don't deserve it. 
They're evil. Look at what they do. Kill them all. And Jesus said that we are to be a light in a dark world. We are called to live a life that reflects the love of Christ. A life that puts the gospel into everyday action. And this is not so people can look at us and think how great we are. Instead, it's just like verse 16 says, it says so they can look at us and see how great our God is. And in doing that, God is glorified. We have to remember, in spite of all the evil in this world, we are not called to decide who God wants to show His love to. We are not called to decide who we think is worthy. Instead, we are simply called to go and share the gospel with the whole world. Made it real simple. Just go. Yeah, but that person, I don't care. Yeah, but that, I don't care. But you don't know, I don't care. Doesn't matter. In fact, if we really think about it, we should be glad that God does not just love those who are worthy. Because if that was true, He'd have never accepted us. We were not worthy of salvation on our own. But we are God's most precious creation, and He loves us so much. He loved us enough that He would send His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And only through Jesus Christ are we redeemed and made worthy. Jesus came to bear the punishment for all of mankind so that we wouldn't have to die. And all we have to do is accept that salvation because it's free to everyone. You said, are you sure? Yeah. In fact, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That pretty much covers everyone. Whoever. And I will tell you that whoever includes you. It includes your neighbor. It includes that person that you don't think is worthy. It includes that person that you think is living a horrible life. But why would He love me, someone might ask. Because you're His greatest creation. Today I want us to not only understand how important that each of us are to God, I also want us to see through this well-known story of Jonah and the big fish how important those around us are to God. We have to realize that we can be and we must be Jesus' hands and feet in this regard by showing others how much they are valued by God. If, if perhaps Jonah 
went to Nineveh and told his story of, you know, I didn't even want to come talk to you people. And I went the other way. And this storm came up and the big fish swallowed me and I was in this fish for three days. And when I got out, I said, fine, I'll come preach to these people. If the people heard that story, and I don't know he told them the story, but if he did, the people would have to sit back and go, wow, God put you through all of that just so I could be saved? He must really love me. You're a bad guy, but he's a really cool God. And I will tell you that today, God is still looking for Jonah's. As with Jonah, God wants us to see that communicating to people how much they are valued to God often takes humility and sacrifice on our part. It might even involve us doing a few things that are not especially comfortable. Maybe even things that don't come natural to us. Our obedience to God is one of the ways that we proclaim the gospel. Obeying God in in what we do. Obeying God in how we live. It tells the message of Jesus in action. It witnesses of God's goodness. When we just live a good life and we live a, a godly life. Being kind one to another. Speaking the truth in love. Giving thanks in all circumstances. All of these are a witness of Christ. A witness of Christ to everyone around us. Those things that might seem commonplace to us might seem outstanding to someone else. This type of obedience might involve us refusing to go along with what everyone else is doing. When we do the right thing without preaching... without pretending that we are better than others, it can have a powerful effect on people around us. I heard a testimony this past week of a a wrestler. Some of you probably, if you watch wrestling, Lex Luger. And he had gone through this horrible time in his life and he had been paralyzed. This is a 6'4 guy, 270 pounds. He had been paralyzed from the neck down. And he had miraculously had gotten through it. And he was going to this gym and he met this guy. And this guy just happened to be a pastor of this big church. And he said, this guy waited for me outside and asked me if I would be his personal trainer. And so they started going to the gym together. And he said, all this time, he was just being my friend. I didn't even know he was the pastor of this church. He was just being my friend. He said, and finally, I found a track from his church in the car, and I started asking him questions. And he said, I went to church for the first time in my life, to that church and sat in the back and heard the gospel and was just absolutely amazed at the gospel. 
But it all started through somebody just being friendly. He didn't start off by hitting him with the Bible. He didn't start off by telling him how horrible he was. He didn't tell him, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. He was his friend first. And in the right timing, it all came along. And he gave his life to Christ. Simply going the extra mile, I will tell you, sometimes astounds people. Most people don't expect that in these these days. In the society that we live in today, they don't expect people to be kind when they don't have to be. Right. I will tell you that the blessing that others receive by our obedience may not always be as immediate as it was with Jonah. Sometimes there might be a delay in the witness. And there will be other times when people just completely reject what we have to say. Happened with Jesus. Jesus himself had people that said, I don't have anything to do with that. Crazy. But delays and rejection cannot stop us from being obedient to proclaiming the gospel and living a godly life. Sometimes proclaiming the gospel can seem a bit awkward because we're called to do things that don't naturally, they don't come natural to us. Like going to Africa, going to Mexico to build a, to build a church in a remote village. Or maybe something really, really hard, like speaking a kind word to someone at Publix or Walmart. Leaving a flyer on a door or on the windshield of somebody's car that invites them to church. I will tell you this, that we may find some things, learn some things about ourselves and about how God can work through us when we will step out and take a chance on doing something that we don't usually do, that maybe we don't want to do, or something that isn't the most comfortable for us to do. Kind of like Jonah. Now, the the things that we are gifted in, the areas of our ministry where we have these spiritual gifts, those might be the easiest things for us to do. But those don't have to be the only area that we work in ministry. Not just the easy stuff. Most of us will never speak to crowds of thousands. But perhaps one or two of us could lead a small Bible study, teach a Sunday school class, Take a casserole over to a new neighbor. Take dinner to someone that's sick. We can do that. When the Holy Spirit nudges us to obey, we should obey because we love God, not because we're afraid of being swallowed by a big fish. And if we struggle to obey, then maybe we need to get down and ask God why it seems so difficult for us to do that. But see, here's the best part of all of this. Just as we saw with Jonah, God not only only invites us to obey, 
He also enables us to do whatever He calls us to do. And through that, our obedience will be a witness to others. Maybe for the last 20 minutes or so, you've been thinking about the title of this sermon. I wonder when I was going to get back to the answer to how to get fish vomit out of your hair. I will tell you that I googled the idea, and I googled that question. I will tell you that I came up with nothing. So I will say that you might try ice and you might try peanut butter. If that doesn't work, you might try a pair of scissors. But here's my best advice. Don't get it there in the first place. Be a witness. Be a light. Go when God says go. So you're saying if I don't do what God tells me to, I'm going to be eaten by a fish? Probably not. But why take that chance? Instead of worrying about that, just be obedient. Be a witness. Be a light. If God says go talk to that person, go talk to that person. If God says go knock on that door, go knock on that door. If God says go be that person's friend, then go be their friend. When we look at the world around us, we may or may not be like Jonah and hope that the world gets what it deserves. There are people out there that believe, call themselves Christians and say, just wipe them out, God. And we might be like that, I hope not. But I will tell you this, I hope none of us get what we truly deserve. We need to remember that just as he did with Jonah, God has forgiven us for running from him. That God has snatched us from certain eternal death. He has rescued us from what we deserve. And with that in mind, could it be our desire to that the world around us not get what they deserve, but instead that they'd be able to experience the same grace, the same mercy, the same compassion, and the same unconditional love that we have received from God. So this message today is a... I guess you can look at it in a couple different ways. It's a reminder to all of us, how much God loves us. It's also a call to anyone who has never met Him. A call to take the time today, before you leave this place, allow Him to show you how much He loves you. If you will ask, He will forgive any of the sins that you've ever committed. But you don't know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
Nineveh was a wicked city. That's why God was going to destroy it if they didn't turn from their evil ways. They were wicked. They were evil. They were mean. But God loved them enough to go through all of this situation with Jonah and give them the opportunity to turn from their wickedness. And God will forgive you of any sins you've ever committed. And He will fill you with His Spirit. But the call doesn't end there. It's also a call to each one who already has a relationship with God. A call to listen to the voice of God. And to willingly follow wherever He leads. Brother Gene, would you stand? Thank you, Brother David. We have been challenged today. Let me say a couple things, and I, I know that um, oftentimes in years past we've seen pastors get up after a guest speaker preaches and re-preaches or tries to add to what has already been said, and I am I am absolutely opposed to that as anyone can be. What has been said has been said, and I can add nothing to that to enhance it or make it better. But I do want to leave you with a couple things. I'm talking to you as your pastor and I'm talking to High Point Church, without question, we have been called to reach our community, to make disciples, and also strengthening the other members of the church body is a very important part of this. But if we are not working together to help the unbelieving world around us become followers of Jesus Christ, then we are missing the point of our salvation. God blessed Abraham so that he could bless the world through him. If our church is not actively blessing the surrounding community, then we are ignoring Jesus Christ's mission for the church. We have been called to be a blessing. We can never forget that we have a role to play in God's plan of redemption for humanity. High Point Church, we have a, our church matters. Though the church of Jesus Christ is meant to cover the globe, there is no church aside from the local church. God has placed us in our unique setting, in our unique group, for the purpose of proclaiming to the unbelieving world around us this glorious gospel. If our church does not pursue our God-given mission, If his church don't fulfill that mission, he didn't leave a backup plan. We're it. 139,000. Thank you for those stats. 
139,000 within a stone's throw of where we sit right now. So the life of the church is a matter of life and death. I'm going to ask you a question, then we're going to pray, and we're going to open these altars. After hearing what Brother David has so eloquently ministered to us this morning and hearing the things you've heard over the past weeks and months, will you help our church step up? Look at the community around us with the compassion of Jesus Christ and call them into the plan of redemption that has transformed our church body and has transformed our lives. Will you do that? If we do, we'll see God's blessing unleashed on our lives and on this church like nothing you could ever imagine. And we'll be a blessing to the community around us. Let's bow our heads together. Precious Heavenly Father, we have heard the words that you have spoken through your servant this morning. Lord, I thank you for those words. I thank you that you love us enough to speak to our hearts and to minister to us. I pray that the words that have been spoken here today will not lie dormant, but they will find a lodging place in our heart. They will challenge us. They will inspire us, and they will cause us to step up to the occasion and realize your love for humanity. We look at the world with disdain at times, and we look at the men and women around us oftentimes with disgust because they don't live like we live, but yet, Lord, you look at them with compassion and love and tenderness, expecting us to reach out to them and share with them the love that you have so graciously bestowed upon us and called us to your tender mercies. I ask you to speak to every heart in this building today. Lord, if there's anyone here today that is teetering on the fence of making that decision to commit their lives to you, I pray that you'll move them off the fence. And Lord, they will commit to you. For we live in the final hours and times of this age. And Lord, for those here of High Point Church that have long worshipped and served you and walked with you, I pray that you would impart to them a hunger an insatiable thirst to befriend and to reach out to a lost world and to be a blessing to those in our community. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray right now. I pray right now as your spirit moves through this building. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. 